Amen, and good morning. It's exciting to be here to worship God when we can fall into His grace and His mercy and have freedom in Him and Him alone this morning. If you're a guest with us, we want to we especially welcome you to First Baptist this morning. You'll see this little white guest registration card there in the pew rack in front of you. And if you could fill this thing out for us and drop it in the offering later on in the service, uh, it gives us a little bit of information about you and a way to connect with you, and, and we'd love to tell you more about our church and, and to tell you about the mission and the ministry opportunities we have available in our church. And so we're excited to be here this morning to worship a God who gives us freedom and who gives us grace, and we can run to his arms in times of trouble and in times of need and, and fall in his arms as we just sing about. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to continue to worship. Oh God, we thank you for being a good, good father that we can run to, and no matter what's going on in life, uh, no matter the, the difficult times we face, the, the trying times we face, even the happy times, Father, we can run to you to celebrate your goodness. Lord, this morning as we gather together, we've, we've gathered to worship you, to come, to focus our attention on you. God, I pray that you speak through Dr. Cox this morning, teach us your word, change our lives. Just focus our lives and, and help us to direct our attention on you. God, everything's about you. We falter when we make it about us. Lord, direct our heart's affection to you this morning. It's in your sons and we pray.
Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is with me. Bless his holy name. Sing it with us. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, oh my soul. Worship his holy name. 
sing like never before. Oh, my soul, worship your holy Yeah. 
love to pray scripture. This is Psalm 103, 1 through 5. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquities? Who heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from destruction? Who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies? Who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. Good to see you here today. Glad that you're here. I want to take just a moment to express appreciation to our Connection Group leaders. This is our Connection Group Leader Appreciation Day. It's about halfway through our church programming year, and uh, so halfway point is a good time to say thank you. These are key leaders in our church. I hope today you will express appreciation to those who teach your preschoolers, children, students, or your own connection group leader, uh, and um, just thank them for their service to the Lord. I add my personal thank you to these key volunteers in our church Keep it up for another six months, okay? Run the race with perseverance set before you. God bless you. I'm sharing a series of sermons from the book of Galatians. Galatians is about salvation. We're understanding what it means to be saved. We've learned or encountered some Bible words that describe the richness of salvation. No one word will describe what God has done for us in salvation. The key word in Galatians, the first one that we've learned, is justification. That is, when you are saved, you are right or square or even with God. You're justified. This really speaks to you if you struggle with guilt. If you have guilt in your life over past failures, mistakes, and sins, you really need to grasp justification. You're okay. You're right with God through Jesus Christ. Second word that we've encountered in Galatians that describes salvation is redemption. That is to liberate from bondage by payment of a price. Jesus died to pay the price to release you from the bondage of sin. And so if you have struggled with sin habits, this is a word and a concept that really should sink into your heart. You can be free. You can overcome sin habits. You can overcome addictions through the power of Jesus Christ. He's redeemed us. He's liberated us. We're not in bondage anymore to sin. Today, we come to a third wonderful word that describes salvation. These others have been sort of legal words. This is a family word. It is the word adoption. When God saves us, not only does he make us right in a legal sense, and not only does he liberate us from the bondage of sin, but God wants to adopt you. He wants you to come into a family relationship with him. How wonderful is that? I hope we can, we can grasp a little sense of that amazement this morning. I want you to watch about a minute and a half video of a young man that found out on Christmas that he was going to be adopted into a family. See if you could identify with some of his feelings. 
some of you have adopted people in your family, children into your family, but all of us should have that sense of uh, being loved and of belonging into the family of God. So today we're going to look at what Paul says in the letter of Galatians about what it means to be adopted by God. Well, how, how could you be adopted? How is that possible? The very first verse that we're going to look at tells us that the way to be adopted by God is through faith in Jesus. Galatians 3.26 So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. Faith is the key word in Galatians, right? How can I be saved? It is by putting your faith in Jesus. How can I be adopted into the family of God? We are all children of God through faith. So faith alone will make you a child of God. Remember the false teachers at Galatia are saying it takes more than faith. You have to also keep the law. Paul says we are all adopted through faith. Nowadays, there are people that want to say everybody's a child of God. We're all God's children. But that's not what the Bible says. Every person is created in the image of God. Every person is loved by God. But the only way to be adopted into God's family, the only way to be a child of God, what does this verse say? It is through faith. Today, you can be adopted into God's family. Maybe you don't have had a, a great family. You can be adopted into God's family. Through faith, if you'll put your faith in Jesus Christ, God wants to bring you into a family relationship. The next verse tells us that the outward sign of adoption is baptism. So faith is an inner thing, right? You believe in your heart and you're saved. But the outer sign of adoption, like your adoption papers that make it official, that's baptism. Look at the next verse. Verse 27, Galatians 3.27, For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. And so when you put your faith in Jesus, you're brought into the family of God. And your first step, your next step, is to be that you are to be baptized outwardly, unashamedly, to show that I am a child of God. And he says here that we were baptized into Christ, you clothe yourselves with Christ. You know, when we baptize somebody, we put them under the water, that water envelops them, and Paul says, just think about Christ has enclosed you, has enveloped you, has clothed you, and baptism represents that you are in Christ. Today at the end of our service, I'll give you an opportunity to come forward and put your faith in Jesus. You can be adopted, and then your next step will be to be baptized at our next opportunity to show your adoption is official. We're going to look in these next verses at three benefits or results of adoption. You put your faith in Jesus and you're baptized. What is that going to mean in your life? What are the results or the benefits of being adopted into the family of God? Number one, adoption means we have equal standing in the family of God first benefit of adoption is that you're a part of a family and you have equal standing with all others in the family. Look at verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one 
in Christ Jesus. So the result of being adopted by God is that you come into a family. And Paul emphasizes here that there is equal standing among all family members. This is an amazing verse, an incredible verse. It's hard for us really to appreciate uh, how incredible this verse is because we've lived with some of the benefits of this verse throughout history. But it says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. They're on equal footing. You see, these Jews were saying, these false teachers, that you had to believe in Jesus and had to obey the Old Testament law. And sort of, In other words, to become a Christian, you, if you're a Gentile, you had to become a Jew, and then you could become a Christian. You had to keep the law in addition to believing in Jesus. But Paul says the ground's level at the foot of the cross. Both Jew and Gentile enter the same way and have the same benefits. And so there's, you see, there's that breaking down of any division. The, the, the gospel, the church, is to model to a world that division has been overcome and that prejudice doesn't have a place and that races and ethnic groups are equal in the family of God. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. So we don't look down on Jews. That's anti-Semitism. And, and neither do we look down on any other ethnic group or racial group. And we've got to model that as the people of God because when you're adopted, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. Next he says there's neither slave nor free. The New Testament did not attack the institution of slavery in the, in the civil world, but instead it modeled in the church a new society where people were equal and it undermined slavery and slavery has crumbled because of this foundation from Christianity. And then it says there's neither male nor female. You see, these three um, things were, these three situations were religious disadvantaged in the first century. The male Jew prayed every morning, God, I thank you that I was not born a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. And so Paul directly addresses these three. There was disadvantage. You may know that in the first century temple, when you went to worship, there was a court of the Gentiles. And then there was a little three-foot wall or a barrier. And so the Gentiles worshipped in a courtyard, and it was well over 100 feet to the temple, uh, well over 200 feet to the temple itself and the altar. They just were standing way far off. And then beyond that, if you were a Jewish woman, you could go beyond that barrier, and then there was the court of women. And the women could approach uh, closer, but they were probably 60 or so feet from the, the altar. And then if you were a Jewish man, you could go through that gate and you could approach on up into the court of Israel, the court of men. And so there were all these dividing walls and disadvantages. And Christianity did away with this. Christianity has done more for the equality of women and the respect for women than any other movement in history. It's hard for us to understand what it was like before Christianity in these three situations because now the dividing lines between Jews and Gentiles have been broken down and the dividing walls between slave and free and the dividing walls between male and female. Now, Paul is still going to talk in other, uh, in other 
books, he wrote other letters about specific gender roles. It does not mean, as some people want to say today, that all gender roles are gone because of this verse. No, Paul is going to say in the family and in the church, there are specific gender roles. Only a, only a woman can be a wife and a mother. Only a man can be a husband and a father. That's the way God created it. It doesn't mean that they're all a race, but it means there is no inequality. And there is, in any of these three, no reason to look down upon or make it a disadvantage any of those people. And adoption has created that because we all came by grace through faith into the family of God. And so the church must be a place where racially and economically, we don't look down on somebody who's of less economic standing or of a different race or a different gender, but there is that equal standing in the family of God. The second benefit of adoption into the family, Paul says, is that adoption means we inherit all God's kingdom. Because we're children, we're heirs. We're in line to inherit all that God owns. Do you know how much God owns? He owns everything. And you, who had nothing, have been brought into a family in which For all eternity, you will enjoy the riches of God's inheritance. Let me read it to you in the next verse, verse 29 and following, Galatians 3, 29. If you belong to Christ. So notice he's using several different phrases to describe what it means to be a Christian. We can say that Christ is in us. We can say that we're in Christ. We can say we're clothed with Christ. And now we can say we belong to Christ. All these are phrases to describe our Christian adoption. And he says... If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Uh, So, again, these false teachers were saying they were children of Abraham, and they were sort of looking down on Gentiles who were not children of Abraham, and if they become circumcised and keep the law, then they might become children of Abraham and inheritors of the promise. And he says, no, no, we're all children of Abraham. You ever talk to a genealogy buff and they want to tell you about, you know, they can trace your ancestry back about 200 years or so. You tell them you can trace yours back 4,000 years that you are a descendant of Abraham by faith in the Son of God, the seed of Abraham, Jesus Christ. And we are heirs of that promise that belongs to the Jews. All the Jewish promises go to all of the church because we are seed. We are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Not only are we heirs of Abraham, but we're heirs of the king of God himself. We continue in chapter 4, verse 1 with this idea of inheritance. What I'm saying, chapter 4, verse 1, is that as long as an heir is under age, he's no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. So a minor in a household does not get to have the benefits. He's more like a slave. Until he comes of age, he doesn't inherit the estate. He's comparing this to the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, under the law, we didn't have all these benefits. He says in verse 2, The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So, he's comparing it to us, verse 3, So also, when we were under age, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. So this is the condition of the world before Christ came. We were enslaved to sin. It's the condition in our lives before we come to Christ. But then it all changed. Verse 4. Verse 4 is one of the great verses in Galatians. 
Verse 4, Galatians 4, 4 is a great Christmas verse. Uh, in December of 1998, 20 years ago, I preached a series of four sermons from this one verse at Christmas. I'm sure you remember it well, 20 years ago. How many of you were here 20 years ago? God bless you for putting up with me for all that time. God bless you for being here and listening to these sermons. God bless you. Uh, those of you who are not, stay with us 20 more years, okay? But here, let me just give you a quick overview of this great verse. First sermon, when the time had fully come, God has a timetable for all things. And Jesus came at exactly the right time, and we explored some of the things. He came at a time when there was Roman peace, and the gospel could spread over all the world. And God keeps his appointments, and things happen in your life when the t set time had fully come. God's always on time. And then the second phrase, God sent his son. There's describing Christmas in a phrase. Jesus lived in heaven for all eternity with the Father, but then the Father sent his son. Why? Because only God could save us. A human could never save us. Jesus is the son of God. The third phrase, he's born of woman. So he's not only fully divine, the son of God, but he's fully human. And it had to be someone born of woman to save us because the penalty for sin was death and only a human can die. So the perfect Savior is fully God so he can save us and fully human so he can die for us. And so when the time had fully come, God sent his son born of woman. And then the next phrase is he was born under the law. He had to be a Jew to fulfill the law, to keep all of the Old Testament covenant and be able to be qualified to be our Savior, the sinless one who could die for us. He had to be born under the law. When the time had fully come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem those under the law and that we might receive adoption to sonship. The whole purpose is that you could be in the family of God. Let's look at verse 7. Still thinking about the inheritance. Verse 7, so you're no longer a slave, but God's child. You can't see it in English, but before these have always been plural. He's saying we and you. And now he gets to verse 7, and it is the second person singular. It's not y'all. It is singular you. You. He turns to the singular to make it so personal. You are no longer a slave. You are a child of God, and God has made you also an heir. Imagine if you were a slave. And some kind king bought you. And not only did a kind master buy you, but he said to you, I'm going to give you your freedom, this redemption. But suppose he went even farther than that, and you were slave, and he said, I'm going to not only be kind to you, not only going to free you, I'm going to adopt you so that you're now a child of the king, and you'll live in a palace, and you'll eat great food, and you will one day rule everything that there is. That's what's happened to us when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. We're going to reign with him. Jesus said, if those who endure with me will also reign with me, you'll be over everything. You're the riches of God. If you've ever given up anything for Jesus, he's going to pay you back a hundredfold because you're going to reign with him. You are an heir to all God's riches, all God's kingdom. That's a result of being adopted into his family. The third and final benefit that Paul talks about here is that adoption means we have a new relationship with God. So you come into the family, you got a new relationship to other people, right? 
We did you know Gentile slave, no free, male, no female, we're all equal. You got a new relationship to stuff. You are gonna inherit the kingdom, and you got a new relationship to God. And see what that is in verse six. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. The spirit of Jesus enables us to call God Father now that we're adopted. So here's the deal. First of all, in verse 4, God sent his son to save us. And now in verse 6, he sends his spirit as evidence of that adoption. And the spirit of his son, it says in verse 6, comes into our hearts. And the spirit who is there assures us that we really are children and enables us to call God Father. You see the Trinity at work here in your life? The Father sent the Son, now the Father sends the Spirit, and the Spirit who is within you enables you to call God Father. And you'll notice here it uses two words, the Spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So the New Testament was written in Greek. That was the written language, the official language. That's the word that word Father is, translated into English there. But the heart language of these Jews was Aramaic, a form of Hebrew. What they spoke was Aramaic. And so Jesus was the first one to call God this name, Abba. It is the familiar, the intimate word. You hear the, the, the like, Papa, Mama, Dad, Dad, we all, those little young child words. Abba is like that. It is the word of a little child for his daddy. And that Aramaic word is preserved here because it's the very word of Jesus from his lips in the Garden of Gethsemane. You can read it in the Gospels. He cried out, Abba, Father. And he taught us in the Lord's Prayer to pray, Our Father in heaven. And so it's preserved here, both the Aramaic word and the Greek, because it's the very word of Jesus and because it's that word of intimacy and closeness to God that you can call God not just creator, not just Lord, not just master, but you can call him father, father. A new relationship with God because of your adoption. Some of you uh, may not have had much family. Some of you, your parents died when you were young, and you've really never gotten over it. Some of you were abandoned by a parent, and it's affected all of your life. Some of you had a family, but it wasn't a really good family. Some of you may have even been abused by a family member. You need to get a hold of the fact that it's by faith signified by baptism. You've come into the family of God. You've got a real family. And you can either stay stuck in the past and mourn what you didn't have or what you have lost, or you can live with celebration and joy in what you do have. Don't stay stuck in what is missing in your life or what is gone in your life. Yes, that is tragic. Yes, it should be grieved, but you 
cannot stay stuck there. You have something bigger and better that's just as real, that's more real, because it's an eternal family. You have a family of God. And that ought to change the way that you look at life. And that ought to give you a sense of belonging, even if you don't feel like you have a sense of belonging. It ought to give you a sense of fellowship. Can can you get what little Carter felt in that opening video? That's what you ought to experience in your life. And let me say to you today, if you're not a Christian, that is, you have not yet personally put your faith in Jesus and been baptized to show that faith. Let me say something to you. God wants to adopt you. How good is that? He wants to adopt you. And when he adopts you, you'll have a family in the church of Jesus Christ. And you'll have equal standing in that family no matter what color or gender or socioeconomic level you are. And you will be an heir to everything. You had it hard in life and you hadn't had much, let me tell you, you'll be an heir to everything. And you, best of all, will have a relationship with God, not of fear and of dread, but a relationship of confidence and love that you can call out, Abba, Father. That's the good news. Let's pray together. Oh God, if there's anybody here today who is lonely, anybody who feels today that they do not belong, anybody who feels inferior, anybody who feels left out, anybody who wonders where they're headed and what their purpose is, then I pray that they would put their faith in your only Son, Jesus Christ, and on your promises that you would adopt them into your family and give them belonging and love and fellowship in the family of God. Thank you, Lord, that you have adopted us. May we live with joy. May we live with confidence because of who we are through Jesus Christ. It's in his name I pray. Amen. Stand together with me if you will. If you want to be adopted into the family of God, he offers you that today. You can put your faith in his son, Jesus, who died for you and rose again so that you can be rearranged. Slavery has been broken. Sing it with us. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship His holy name. Sing like never before, oh my soul, worship Your holy name. 
Amen. I just want to take a moment now to just tell you a little bit about opportunities to serve on mission this year uh, through our church. And so if you look at our worship guide, you kind of see uh, we have the Jesus tent and our, our mission trips. And so here's what I would like you to do. Um, if you can today, go to our website, go to the missions tab. And if you select on that, you'll see all of our opportunities to serve this year. We have four different mission trips going on. Uh, we have a trip to South Boston, another one to Oxford, Ohio, and then Oxford, Pennsylvania after that. So if you're going to plant a church in Oxford, let us know. We'll partner with you. And then also we have a uh, uh, partnership with missionaries in Paris working with an unreached people group. But I want you to look at the opportunities, and the next step then is to pray. Ask God, where would you want me to serve on mission this year? And then we have the application and, and deposit deadline is February 14th. So that gives you a little bit of time to prepare and to get ready. And then after that, we'll have meetings and training and all of that. But I just want you to know there are seven, seven, if I can talk this morning, seven, seven different opportunities to serve on mission this year. Between the four trips, Jesus Tent, Serve Coffee County, and Oakley, there's seven different opportunities to serve on mission. So we really want the church to not just be poured into here as we gather, but we also want the church to scatter on mission, taking the gospel to our community and to the ends of the earth. And so would you look at our website, look at these trips. Also, look at the Jesus Tent at thejesustent.com. Find ways that you can register and serve there as well. Um, if you're a first-time guest, our pastor will be at the Welcome Center. Be sure to drop by there. He's got a free gift for you. And uh, I just want to take a moment to pray. Let's pray together. Father, I just thank you, God, for your goodness to us. And, Lord, I thank you that you adopt us, Lord, into your family. God, we are amazed um, at your love and grace for us. Lord, now as we move into connection groups, God, I thank you for connection group leaders. I pray that they will um, just be blessed for their ministry. And uh, God, I thank you for them. We thank you for all of this. In Jesus' good name, amen.